Hi, I'm Tony G, host of The Tony G Show as well as The Tony G Show interviews. Today our guest is Gary Gresh, the head basketball coach of St. Norbert College men's basketball. Gary Gresh is entering his 15th season in De Pere as the head coach of the Green Knights. In his tenure, the Green Knights have won nine conference championships and been to the Division III tournament seven times. Coach Gresh rose to stardom after playing at UWGB while he was playing under Dick Bennett and one of his teammates was Tony Bennett. Coach Gresh is excited to get back on the court and coach the Green Knights in the 2021-2022 Division III basketball season. Without any further introduction, here is the Tony G Show interviews head coach Gary Gresh. Tony G Show interviews, I'm Tony G, the host, Will McCormick in studio today. Our guest today is SNC men's basketball coach Gary Gresh. Gary, thanks for spending the time on the show today. Thanks for having me, Tony and Will. Appreciate it. We've interviewed you before. Will and I have been part of a different show. We are excited about this interview. Can't wait to talk to you about some of these certain subjects. Let's start here with where you are just coming back from. You were coming off a loss at Notre Dame and a loss at UWGB. But I want to open it up with you first with the question of Notre Dame. What was that like to go to that highly esteemed school and spend a couple days down there playing basketball? Yeah, it was uh, truly an amazing experience to be able to take our student-athletes down there uh, on Thursday, the day before the game, kind of walk the campus and take some team pictures just to have those guys on that campus experience. That was great. And then just how they treated us from the moment we arrived, everything was first class as you would expect at Notre Dame. The next day we we did get to have a shoot around on the main court before, and they already had the scoreboard set up. So you walk in there and it's SNC and then Notre Dame, you know, 7 p.m. tip. So when you walk in there and you see that on the scoreboard, uh, the Jumbotron, it was pretty cool. So we had an hour shoot around. And then they actually had a home football game on Saturday. So on Friday, we were able to stay in our hotel in the lobby and in the meeting room areas, but we had to check out of our rooms. And we didn't play till 7 o'clock. So we had a little bit of a dead time where we were just kind of hanging out in the hotel. But I think early in the season to get that team bonding together on the bus, in the hotel, and then to do all that and experience it down in South Bend at Notre Dame was, was pretty awesome. 84-45 the loss at UWGB. 78-44 the loss at... Uh, at Notre Dame. What, as a D3 college, is something I know I've asked you this before. Yeah. But just again, what do you look to get out of these games when you schedule high-ranking matchups against Division One programs? You've gone against Marquette in the past. What do you look to get out of these games? Yeah, I told somebody we would probably get more out of it from a X's and O's and learning more about our team if we chose to play another Division Three school in a scrimmage, which most of the teams end up doing that. Um, in the past, we've scrimmaged Michigan Tech, Northern Michigan, Division II schools. We get a lot out of that. When you play a Division I school, you know we're trying to tell our guys, control what you can control, your energy, your effort, your preparation. But there's just certain things that you're not going to be able to do against that 6'11 post player at Notre Dame that you might be able to do in a Division Three game that we're getting ready for. So um, if we had the choice to play a Division Three school in a scrimmage or a Division One exhibition game, I would choose to do the exhibition game every single time just to give that experience for our guys. And I think they would say the same thing, even though the, the score gets away from you a little bit. I, I was really proud at Notre Dame. You could see a marked improvement from the Green Bay game to the Notre Dame game, just how we competed. Um, we didn't play scared. Um, I thought our kids did a really good job. 
I was there at the UWGB game. I was able to buy a ticket, which, by the way, I had to pay full price as a visiting in, at UWGB, a visiting student, even though, whatever. That's besides <laughs> the point. I was at that UWGB game, and I thought to myself what you just said. Their big man is not St. Norbert's big man. Just at the Division One level, they're so big, they're so strong, they're so fast. It's like, oh, my goodness, this is a Division One athlete. But I heard you, uh, St. Norbert College put out this video, this hype video, if you will, when you went to Notre Dame. And I heard you in an interview talk about you want to execute on the court against these big men, Notre Dame. The goal here is execution. When you say that, what are you executing? Is it movement on offense? Is it defensive switches? What are you executing particularly? Yeah, can, can we get into some semblance of, of offense? Now, we might not get as clean a look at the basket as we would if we played a Division three school, but can we run our offense? Are we executing? Are we screening, moving, taking care of the ball? So again, a lot of the controllables. Defense, are we getting back and setting our defense? Now, if that 6'11 post player just goes up for an offensive rebound, and, and we're doing everything we can to box them out and they just happen to get the rebound, well, well, so be it, right? But we're doing what we can to try to win that possession, if you will. So um, I thought we did that, and there was a, definitely a, a good improvement from the Green Bay game to the Notre Dame game. What's the process like when you schedule these big-time Division One schools, UWGB, Marquette, Notre Dame? How do you go about getting your team to these locations to play these these big schools. Yeah, each one kind of has its own story. So Green Bay, I, I played there. Um, yep. St. Norbert is in the area. So I think they would probably draw more asking us to play them um, than they would any other exhibition game. So they've actually reached out to us the last two times that we played on, which worked out great. Um, so a number of the other schools, I will actually send out emails each spring letting them know that we're interested in playing them. I think it makes sense for other similar Catholic institutions to consider playing uh, St. Norbert. And so we've reached out to Loyola, uh, DePaul, uh, Notre Dame, obviously, Xavier, St. Louis. And, um, you know, sometimes they don't even get back to you, just no response. Course, yeah. But Notre Dame has been, you know, and this is a credit to Mike Bray. Every year he said, you know, I have some alums that are in the coaching profession. I need to take care of them first. We're going to play them first but you're on our list. If there's an opening in the future, we'll consider it. Well, last year with COVID, we were scheduled to play them. COVID hits, everything gets shut down. And then this year I'm emailing uh, the assistant coach, letting him know we still want to play and I'm getting no response. So I figure I'm just going to try one, one or two more times. Just let me know if it's no, so be it, but just let us know. And finally, he said, you know what, we'll play you, but I still have two regular season games to fill before we, we make it official for the exhibition game. So once he told me we were playing, I felt really good. A week after that, uh, this assistant coach ends up taking another job at another oh. school. So now I'm kind of in the wind if we're going to play or not. And finally, they get back to me. Yes, we're still planning on playing you. Hang in there. But then another couple of weeks go by, I don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden I see it on their website that they're playing St. Norbert in an exhibition game. And I'm getting a couple of calls and texts from people on campus. And I said, well, if they're putting it on their website, it, it's going to happen. So that's when we ended up releasing it, even though we didn't have an official contract. So to get one of those games uh, is pretty unusual. To get two is almost unheard of. So we we're pretty fortunate this year. And we're going to continue to try to do that going forward. What's a dream school to bring your team to? What's a dream school? Boy, that's a great question. 
Um, you know, my college teammate, Tony Bennett is at Virginia and they actually don't even do exhibition games. They'll just choose to play two closed scrimmages against other division one schools. So they don't even play an exhibition game. But I think if you could play like a Virginia, a Duke, a North Carolina or a Kentucky, that would be pretty, pretty awesome. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> St. Norbert College going to Kentucky, going to Kansas, playing these powerhouses <laughs> in the division one college. Uh, basketball landscape. A lot of directions I want to branch off to. We'll wait to do it. I want to branch off into assistant coaches. I want to branch off into uh, Division One schools again. But I'll focus more on you for the time being. You have a lot of achievements coming into this season. 274 wins at St. Norbert. Eight conference titles uh, in 10 years. Nine overall. Again, you played at UWGB. You mentioned that under Dick Bennett. You have this incredible basketball background, experience, and knowledge. And you've been asked about it plenty of times. I've talked about it with you before. But I want to ask you where you think your coaching ability needs improvement. With all this experience you have, where is something you'd like Boy, to that's, improve? <laughs> that's a great question. I We're doing something right. I mean, we've won a number of games. I, I would like to see us have an opportunity someday to play in, in a Final Four. So we've been to the second round. Um, we've achieved a lot within our conference with those championships, conference tournament championships, experience the NCAA tournament. To me, um, the next step would be hopefully get an opportunity to play in a Final Four. And that's really tough to do. Like if you can get through the Midwest region, because Division Three basketball is so strong in the Midwest, Correct. you actually have a great chance to win the whole thing. So it might be tougher to get out of your region than it would be to win the Final Four. Um, so find, find a way um, to hopefully be in that position at some point here in my career to coach in a Final Four. But uh, to answer your question a little bit more specifically, as far as like X's and O's, I would say I'm pretty rigid. I'm going to try to teach and coach what I know. So I really haven't changed, or you to hear about these people adapting and changing, we really haven't changed a whole lot within our program. I would say we're, we're pretty vanilla. We're going to run our, our motion. We're going to screen and try to take good shots, take care of the ball. And then we're going to hopefully play good man-to-man defense. So if there's one criticism of myself, I would say I'm probably too rigid in my philosophy and probably unwilling to change. Although we, we've thrown some open post and different concepts in there as our roster has changed a little bit, but I am pretty, pretty rigid and I'm going to try to teach what I know. X is an O's guy. You can just tell that it just, I mean, bleeds off of you. What is your opinion when a big, what's your philosophy when someone goes up for a three? If you have an open three, do you take it? Or do you worry about the rest of the offense? Well, that depends on your ability to shoot the ball, Tony. Okay. So, <laughs> so if Will McCormick Not, goes up for a three, you're saying, hold off. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it, it really depends on the person. And time and score of the game, uh, the amount of pressure that you're under. Like, are you really open or do you think you're open? Okay. Um, and then your range. And that's different for each kid. So I would say that's something that uh, the shot clock has – um, led to a quicker pace of play that if you pass up a, a good open three, you might not get another good look because of the shot clock. You're running up against the shot clock. So we, I, I would say we've started to play a little bit faster on offense with the shot clock. We've given more kids freedom to shoot that three. But I still think that's something that's earned over time in practice, in games. Not every kid, despite what they think, can shoot it and make it. They that's can all true. shoot it, but they can't always make it. Can you make it? I hear that a lot from coaches. A baseball coach here at St. Norbert, Mike Walrick, always says, you have to earn the right to swing on a 3-0 pitch. You know, 3-0 pitch, usually you take it, see if it's a strike. Pitcher hasn't thrown you a strike yet in the at-bat. So you have to earn swinging at 3-0 as a hitter. Similar thing in basketball. I like that. Yeah, so last year, the last season that we played, Joey Syriac's first-team yeah, all-conference, yep. 
could really shoot the ball. He he kind of had that green light, and that's something that was earned over time. So as a freshman, you know, he he didn't have that right necessarily. Although you could tell he was going to become a good shooter because of his work ethic and his form. Um, but that was something that was developed over time. Back to your history and some of the memories you've had. You blocked Jason Kidd in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> you've been to a handful of NCAA tournaments as a player. A picture, famous picture of you playing at UWGB is on the cover of this podcast art. What memories stick out to you as a player way back from your playing days at UWGB? I mean, that's big time names that were thrown out here. What sticks out yeah, to you? Yeah, probably the, the Cal game, the one you just brought up with Jason Kidd. People forget that they also had another lottery pick on that team, Lamont Murray. So the season before, they were a trendy pick to go to the Final Four. They beat Duke in the Sweet 16 as freshmen. Then Jason Kidd was a sophomore the year that we played them. So they were kind of a trendy pick as a five seed to make a run into the Final Four. And about once a week, somebody in town, in Green Bay, on campus, will ask me about that game. So that's probably my, my best memory as a player. Um, you know, we were playing out in Ogden, Utah. We were the 12 seed. Back then, they put you in your hotel by your seed. So Syracuse was a four seed. Cal was a five seed. They're in like downtown five-star hotels in downtown Ogden. We were the 12 seed. We actually stayed at a Flying J truck stop outside of Ogden. <laughs> and it honestly, it kind of fit our personality and who we were as, as players and as a team. And so there was a truck stop attached to it. We beat Cal. The next day, they said, you can move into their hotel into downtown Ogden. And Coach Bennett said, you know what? We're going to stay where we're at in the Flying J. Um, it fits who we are. And there's a great um, restaurant next door at the truck stop. And I love their banana cream pie. So we're not going anywhere. So <laughs> we ended up staying there. Um, you know, the game, I could talk forever about the game and the stories and the stats just get better. But that uh, the Flying J, <laughs> Flying J truck stop was pretty interesting and maybe something people don't know know about i love sticking to i mean it's one thing to be put in that situation but then to have the opportunity to move up to a better predicament <laughs> and then stick with that situation be like no no this is who we are and stick with that i love that yeah but then the next year we, we went and played purdue to a one-point game there was a bang bang call at the end uh, when i was guarding Quanzo martin he kind of lowered his shoulder and we had help on a ball screen so i kind of knew which way he was going and he he caught me right in the middle of my chest and i fell over and that call happened right in front of Gene Cady. And Gene Cady already had one technical in the game. So the call happens. It's right in front of Gene Cady. And it ends up being a block. And Quanzo Martin goes to the line, makes both free throws. We end up losing by one. And that was my junior year. Uh, senior year, we actually got an at-large bid and ended up playing Virginia Tech. They had Ace Custis at the time. And that was a tough matchup. It was an 8-9 game. Um, and they were very similar, played very similar to how we did, but were just a little bit more athletic. So um, those were the three NCAA tournament games I was fortunate enough to be a, a part of. Amazing stories, all of them. And they seem so fresh in your mind still to this day. Maybe you could tell me more about your career this way. You were a four-time Defensive Player of the Year for UWGB Basketball. What's the key to making a good defender? Is it footwork? Is it the vision? Is it anticipation? What do you have to do to be a good defender in basketball? Yeah, so we tell our guys all the time, uh, defense is effort, which is easy to control, yep. and your anticipation. So once you kind of learn the defensive system and where, you, where you're supposed to be out on the floor, a lot of it is just anticipating and trying to be ahead of the play. So 
for me, um, that was the one way I could get on the floor and help our team win at Green Bay. I wasn't going to be out there for my offense. I wasn't much of a shooter. Um, so for me to find a way to help the team, I had to become a, an elite defender and really buy into that role. But I think defense, a lot of effort, energy, anticipation, and I was fortunate enough, it, it led me to have the ability to get on the floor and, and help some pretty good teams. Do you think in basketball today, not just at the professional level, but any level really, do you think there's a challenge in players understanding their identity? Like you said, you knew you weren't going to be the shooter. You were going to be the defender. Is there a challenge in today's basketball with the players understanding their identity or does everybody just want to try and shoot the three? Yeah, that's a great question too. I think initially, because there's so much social media and stuff is out there, kids come out of high school, um, you know, they're the best player on their team, maybe in the conference, maybe in the region. And then all of a sudden you go to college it's pretty pretty humbling to get there and realize, well, I'm just one of a number of good players. And we're going through that. Like our freshman team, I, our freshman class here, I, I think is going to be very good, very talented. But they're kind of starting over at the bottom of the pecking order. So I think that humility, and that was a lesson I learned at Green Bay too. So when, when I signed in the fall of my senior year, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to go, I'm going to be the starting backcourt mate with Tony Bennett. Tony will be a senior. I'll be a friend. I'm going to start right next to him. Well, I get there, I realize I'm not as good as I thought I was. These guys are a lot better than what I thought they were. Maybe I'll be in the rotation. <laughs> well, then by October 15th, I'm like, boy, I, I hope I'm in the rotation. And then by the time the first exhibition game rolled around, Coach Bennett pulled me in his office and he said, you know, you're going to be a good player, but you might be better off redshirting and not playing as a freshman, which at the time was very hard to hear. So I, I had imagine. to continue to practice that whole year yep. and not play in the games. But in the end, it was the best thing for me. But it was a real lesson in humility. Speaking of freshman classes and, and switching into the college level, you have two kids, a son, Garrett, who now comes here to St. Norbert College and will play on the basketball team, and a daughter, Gracie, who is looking at colleges, some of these big-name colleges too. What is this stage of your life like to see your life as a father and your life as a coach start to intertwine and see these two yeah, kids grow up in front it's, of you. It's pretty, pretty surreal uh, to see your son in college to begin with and then to have the ability to see him every day on the practice floor and to be able to coach him. And because I was busy coaching basketball in college, when he was growing up, I think I coached him in baseball one time. So this is actually a new experience for me to be able to coach him um, on the court. So it is pretty, pretty surreal. You just got to got to savor every moment because it's going to go fast. It was going fast when they were younger, watching them grow up, and it's going to go fast here now that he's on campus. But it's really a, a blessing to be able to, to see him on the floor each and every day. Absolutely. Yeah. What about Gracie looking at colleges? And I know you can't go too far into specifics of where she's going, of course, but I mean, she's looking at some pretty big names. What's it like for you to see her start to look at some of these higher ranking programs? Yeah, I think everything is moving so fast and early in these kids' careers. So the interest in them as freshmen, as sophomores, and the offers that these kids are getting, especially on the women's side, which I wasn't really following as much until Gracie started to get a little bit older. Um, it's really amazing how early all this process has started, that she's starting to look at campuses and ask questions and try to figure out what the best fit for her will be you know, in, in a couple of years down the line. I just I can't get over this because you are a college coach yourself, but you get the opportunity to tour on some occasions as well to go to these bigger programs. What's it like to tour some of these colleges? Do you do you keep an eye on certain athletics, or, <laughs> or are you trying to keep her her mind on the academics at this point? Yeah, it's a combination of both because uh, you want her to be happy with her decision. 
um, we tell kids when they visit St. Norbert, you know, think of, you know, where are you going to be most happy in your all around experience? So athletically, academically, as a campus. Um, so we're able to guide her through the process a little bit, help ask some good questions, and she's got a little bit of time to figure it out. But I think the more experiences that she has looking at these schools, meeting the coaches, meeting the players, it'll come to her eventually. And she does have a little time. Like some of these coaches, I told her, like, Gracie, if this coach at this school keeps winning at a high level, she might get gobbled up and be at another high major school. Like she might not be there. So she's got to take it in in stride a little bit and start to think about those things herself. I want to ask about Garrett, too, deciding to come to St. Norbert College. Was he looking at other colleges, or was he like, I'm going to go play for my dad and see what that's like at St. Norbert College? And he knows it so well from the area, of yeah. course, with you being around here. What was that decision like for him to be a Green Knight? You know, um, it's interesting. I think he was almost a little bit cheated in the recruiting process okay. just because people probably assumed he was going to come here and, and play here. So I, I feel he didn't quite get the same experiences that Gracie um, is getting right now. But I think in his mind, he always thought he was going to end up here. I just wish he was able to experience some of those same things and go through the process himself a little bit. And he was a late bloomer. That I mean, I, as a senior, he had a really good year. Before his senior year, I'm like, boy, I, I just don't know. And he's young for his birthday. He's a July birthday. So he could technically be an, uh, a senior in high school I right see. now. Yep. So there is a, and those people that know him, there is a little bit of immaturity there. Um, and, and he's come a long way, still has a long ways to go. Um, but I think in the back of his mind, he always thought of himself going to St. Norbert and playing for his dad. We're still staying on the topic of members of your team, transitioning from players to coaches now. You had an uh, assistant coach step down and, and go to a different program. Joe Klein is now uh, departed for Bethel. How important of a role is it for these assistant coaches on your team? You do have quite a few of them. What's the role like for these assistant coaches? Yeah, I mean, they're really critical for us to have the program that we want to have and treat our players the way we want to treat them and get that attention on the floor. Like somebody said, do you guys record your practices? They're like, no, we're going to catch those problems as they occur in real time because we do have a number of coaches at practice and all of them have different things in their lives that are going on with full-time jobs outside of basketball, family, kids, work commitments. So each of them are a little bit different, um, but they all bring so much to the table and really have a passion for teaching and being around the team. So, and, and we've had a lot of consistency within the staff over the years. I think that's been really, really key to, to our success. You seem like an understanding head coach of a program. So this was a move that you understand for Joe Klein to go to, to Bethel? Or is there something that uh, might yeah. be underlying that? Yeah, so the position that he accepted, I think our our program right now, Bethel's going to get to be very, very good. Uh, Zach Phils and Left Lawrence went to Bethel. He's going to do a great job, build it up, do it the right way. As he was starting to do at Lawrence, you can see them turning the corner. Um, but for Joel to have the opportunity to get insurance and benefits be full-time, it was a good opportunity. The timing, I always said the timing to lose an assistant is never good, let Correct. alone a week before the season starts. Yep, yep. So the, the timing for that wasn't great, but it was still a good opportunity for Joel, and I was happy for him. And then I was happy for our players. We were able to fill that position with Logan Flora, who came over from Ripon and is on campus here every day as well, in a similar role to Joel, um, a little bit different in the fact that he's older. Um, Joel was a little bit closer in age to the guys um, and could relate to him. Not that Logan can't, but Joel was pretty close in age to those guys, and I know those guys um, really like Joel as a person and a coach. Friend of the show, I've asked, we've had plenty of conversation about this guy before. 
I do have to ask you about this one particular assistant coach, the one Mr. Corey Shashelchik, uh, assistant coach for St. Norbert College Basketball. Love seeing Corey around campus. He's a great dude. Yeah. What does he bring to the program? And I do have a, a hint. Is it discipline? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he's our direct line with academics, right? Yeah, so uh, to get that feedback in real time at practice, like, Corey, have you gotten any reports on our guys? Are they doing okay in class? Um, but he's got a great basketball mind on top of that. Just with COVID and everything that he's doing in his full-time job with academic support services, he's getting pulled in that direction, which he should, right? That's his full-time job. But I know he wishes he had a little bit more time to give on the basketball end, but there's only so many hours in the day. I'm fortunate to get him for a good portion of the majority of our practices. And then even in the winter, he'll go out and recruit and watch kids. So he's pretty critical. I think this is his I want to say ninth year on campus and 12th year on staff, maybe. I might be off by a year, but sure. um, pretty fortunate to have that consistency over the years. Yeah, point still remains that he's been a cornerstone for the last decade or so of St. Norbert College athletically and academically as well. Yeah. What is it to keep, honestly, Gary, hands on the table here, what keeps you at St. Norbert College instead of moving to a bigger school? Like the, the opening at UWGB a few years ago, everyone speculates and throws your name around. What is it that keeps you at St. Norbert College? Yeah, I would say I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. It, it's the people. It really is. Uh, <laughs> you, you come here thinking, maybe I'll, I'll build the program up, win some games, win a conference championship, and then I'm going to move on to the next level. But the more you're here, you, you realize what a special place it is, and it's because of the people here. Um, and I know Tom Kunkel did a great job. Now, now we have all these facilities on top of the people. So we really have so much to offer um, as a college, as an institution, athletically, um, with the facilities, academically, that it's just a great fit. It's, it's really home. And now um, as your kids get a little bit older, now it's a little bit tougher to make, make some of those moves. So um, I'm definitely in that lifer zone. You look at Tim Coughlin, who's won a number of national championships and hasn't gone anywhere. Connie Tilly was here 42 years. Um, it really is about the people, and it's a special place. You have seen the transition from St. Norbert College. You said now there's facilities and there's a bunch of buildup around St. Norbert College than there wasn't before. Talk to me about Gary Gresh 15 years ago. This is going to be your 15th season as a head coach. How did you land at St. Norbert College? Yeah, so I was at Lakeland College. I had a full-time assistant and a graduate assistant. So the opening happened, and Tim Bald reached out to me, and I said, you know, what's the staffing like? And he said, well, you get a $5,000 stipend for an assistant coach or two assistant coach. However you divide, want to divide that up, it's $5,000. I said, well, Tim, I have a full-time assistant and a grad assistant at Lakeland. Um, the group of kids that we had just recruited, uh, Chris Saberlick, Danny Ainert, that group, those kids were just turning the corners, becoming sophomores. So I didn't want to leave those guys. And Tim's comment was, you're going to find good help in Green Bay. Green Bay is such a great area. People are going to want to get involved and help out, even if you don't have a full-time assistant. And then you're going to recruit another group of really good kids that you're going to become close to as well. And so initially I, I said, no, I kind of withdrew from consideration and then I think Tim went through the process and looked at three three other people and went through interviews um, and ended up circling back with me after the fact. And I think Dan Lucas said, you know, he never really said no um, without saying no. So Dan actually encouraged Tim, like, give, give, him a, give it another try, give him a call. So Tim called, and then I think he had Tony Bennett call me once, and um, I ended up reconsidering 
coming back onto campus, brought my wife. Um, Garrett was in a um, at childcare, and then Gracie was in a carrier. We brought our daughter, a <laughs> daughter on campus, around in a carrier, and uh, met Father Jim Baraniak. Uh, Tim walked us around campus, and then Liz said, "You know, um, you spoke so highly of Saint Norbert and what it was like, but even for her to experience those people during the interview." She said, you'd be dumb not to take this job. And once she kind of said that, it really kind of hit home. And if she was on board with it, I, I knew it was going to be a great fit for me. That's an amazing story to see how you ended up at St. Norbert College. Seems like it's been the right one. You've been here. This is going to be your 15th year. And speaking of this 15th season, it comes after a season was ruined because of COVID. Not to mention that you were going to be in a new conference as well, a team that hasn't played since early two, early 2020, the 2019 season. Talk to us about the challenges you were going to face this year, new conference, haven't played in a year or two. What's it going to be like? Young team as well. What's the season going to be like? Yeah, so if you even go before that, we had the COVID year, so we were preparing to have a season, a shortened season, but we were still preparing to have a season. And at the end of the previous season, the kids that were playing well, uh, Joey was Syriax was first-team all-conference, Connor Curtis was first-team all-conference, but then the kids that were really still starting as juniors, um, Wade Geenan, Nolan Byrne, Jared yeah. Murphy was our leading scorer coming off the bench. So my heart still goes out to those guys because they lost their senior year with COVID. They all graduated in four years, are doing really well for themselves. Selfishly, would have loved to have those guys back because course, I think yeah. we could have been really good last year. But we were practicing last year after they canceled our season in preparation for, for this year with the returning guys, the underclassmen. So the tough thing is we were practicing, but we didn't have that game experience. So I, I would say we, we have some older kids on the teams, senior, juniors, um, but not a lot of game experience because the last time we played, um, our seniors were sophomores. Our sophomores, current sophomores, have never been through a pregame routine, an actual game, a scouting report. So it, it's almost like starting over a little bit. And I don't know exactly what we have yet. So without that, we're going to try to rely on our defense and our rebounding. And then I think our roles offensively will develop over time. You can point to Jacob Bulwark and Michael Payon and say, you know, they're your leading returning scorers from two years ago. They have the most experience. So I think initially we're going to rely on those guys and our older guys. But I think the younger guys, their learning curve is pretty steep. They're going to end up being pretty good, but it might take a little bit of time. And with our schedule, we probably overscheduled a little bit this year with some of our non-conference games. That is head coach of the men's basketball team, Gary Grash, heading into his 15th season here on the Tony G Show interviews. Will McCormick in studio. I'm Tony G. I do have to bring this up, and I'm sorry that I have to. But this is a basketball team that has come up short in the last couple of years because they tough losses to Ripon, Lake Forest in the conference championship. Again, new conference. But what hurdles does a team like this have to clear to dispel that past and move on? Yeah, I mean, you got to play, be playing your best basketball at, at the end of the year. And um, we were still playing really, really well. We ended up getting an at-large bid because uh, that year we went 5-2 and two in our non-conference we beat Oshkosh, beat Eau Claire, played Elmhurst, played Benedictine. So you got to play good non-conference opponents, and then you got to win a number of those games. So we were fortunate enough, even though we weren't playing our best, best basketball at the end of the year, we ended up losing to Ripon in the conference tournament. We still played well enough where we were 5-2 and two in our non-conference that we earned that at-large bid. So I think that's the tough thing in Division Three. There are so few at-large bids. 
you know, you really have to have a great strength of schedule and a win a number of those games to get in. And unfortunately, um, it is like a, a win or go home situation in most cases. We were just fortunate to get that at large. To your knowledge, there's not another Grinnell team in the Northern Athletics Collegiate <laughs> Conference, right? Full hockey shifts at a time, five guys in, five guys in, five guys in. Is there? Yeah, I haven't started to study the new schools in the NAC or look at them too closely. From what I understand, people have said Concordia Chicago is the closest thing to Grinnell. They'll press, uh, they'll run dribble drive on offense, they'll shoot quickly and make it a fast-paced game. But if somebody was playing exactly like Grinnell at that pace, I would probably know about them. So, <laughs> yeah. I, and, and that's fine. I mean, Grinnell has their own system and unique way of doing things. Um, we would never schedule that game again just because it doesn't help us in any other game sure. in our, on our schedule. Towards the back end of this interview, uh, Coach Gresh, and we're going to turn to our 60-second segments. This will be 60 seconds with Gary Gresh, another special edition. This is something I've started to really like doing with coaches, is just throwing names at them of players that they have coached and see what they have to say about them, either uh, when they were playing, where they're at now, just their general thoughts that come to them. So I'm going to, when, when Will starts the timer, I'll throw a name at you. You will tell me what comes to your mind about that particular player, uh, the timer will stop, and then I'm going to throw another name at you. Just spend 60 seconds on these players. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. We're <laughs> going to go with more recent of a group of names. These With with Tim Coughlin in that interview, we went over the scope of his entire career, two decades. That's good because my memory is slipping. I'm not as sharp <laughs> as uh, Coach Coughlin. So we will stick with the recent players. And I just love asking you these sorts of questions because I've been so fortunate to be this close to the basketball team, knowing a couple of the players, having a relationship with you professionally so i've been so fortunate to have this relationship that i just can't wait to ask you some of these players should we get into it yeah fire away first player connor curtis just a war warrior um you know, people he didn't have a lot of post moves or a niftiness to his game <laughs> but he could bury you underneath the basket and finish a layup with the best of them um the game against oshkosh him and jack flynn who was an all-american were going back and forth and uh it, it was like those old wwf fights where you brought brought out the chair and the the two by fours because those two guys were going at it so and he battled a lot of injuries with a stress fracture in high school, a bad ankle sprain in high school, um, rolled his ankle a couple of good times here and had a bad back his senior year and could could barely practice throughout the year. He was almost on an NBA schedule where we were just kind of getting him loosened up in practice, doing the fundamentals. Once we started any uh, live action, he almost had to take himself out of practice. So it's almost what could have been if he was really healthy throughout his career. The M.O. of St. Norbert College basketball with these two men, Connor Curtis, and then another gentleman who was plagued by injuries, Joe Lemon. Yeah, Joe. Oh, man. Um, my, my heart goes out to Joe just because he, he got an opportunity to play right away as a freshman. You could see the talent there. Continued to play as a sophomore. Um, and then the injury bug hit him, too, with his ACL. Um, my, probably my lasting memory of Joe was – um, he had to play center for us when he was healthy, when Connor was out the year before. Correct. And so Joe, uh, as a freshman, was playing a little bit of small forward for us, ended up having him play center for us as a junior, um, and just kind of battled. Uh, he had good size, but not the the strength as most centers that we played against. So battled through that as a junior and was really having a good spring and ended up tearing his ACL in an open gym. 
and then um, made it all the way back for senior night. He did get in at the end of the senior night game I against Monmouth, that. and actually I, he fired up a three in front of the bench and missed it, but just everything he went through and, and still remained part of the team, even though he had that pretty much career-ending injury as a, as a senior. This next name comes from that same class, of course, because it's the same era. Friend of mine, good kid, really good kid, does a lot with the outdoors blogging and vlogging, Wade Geenan. Yeah, Wade was the heart and soul of our team. Um, and to have those guys as senior, get their senior year taken away, um, that was the hardest phone call I think I've ever had to make, Tony, just because um, when we stopped practicing at Thanksgiving, we sent the kids home, still thinking they were going to come back after Christmas. Word comes out that they cancel our season. So you can't even meet with those guys face-to-face. Yeah. you got to pick up the phone and tell them. And uh, my heart goes out to that entire group, especially Wade as being a captain, a leader, point guard. He's everything that you wanted out of a, out of a point guard. This next name, kids on the team love this guy. I, I mean, I, I interviewed Mike Pant a couple years ago, and I brought up this name, and he just smiled, just started laughing. Tell me more about the on-court ability of Nolan Byrne. Yeah, they, they call him the cleaner because the he's cleaner. always on yep. the glass and going to the boards and um, – <laughs> he's just a grinder. Um, we always tell our guy, our current player, why was Nolan such a good rebounder? Well, cause he goes to the glass every single time. So he got the most out of his ability. He always had some great moves around the basket. He could finish with both hands. Um, but he really made himself into a good player just with his work ethic. Um, and then he actually in, in increased his range. He was making a good percentage of three pointers by the end of his junior year. Again, in that same class with Jared Murphy, um, Wade Geenan, Nolan Byrne, uh, Jared Davis, Matt Lynch, um, and Nate Verstegen. Those six guys um, was part of that, that, that recruiting class. Absolutely. Another gentleman, you mentioned him before, could shoot unbelievable threes. When he got going, look out, Joe Syriax. Yeah, Joey was physically uh, put together as a high school senior, so physically he was ready to come in. He was stuck behind some pretty good wing players, some good guards in our program. Um, got a little bit of minutes um, a- as a freshman, but not a ton. And so I think that was a little bit of an adjustment for him. And then I give him a lot of credit. Over the course of the summer from his freshman to his sophomore year, he actually reworked his shot where he was still shooting it pretty good, but it was a little bit flat. So for a kid to make that big of adjustment where he increased his arc on his shot over one summer is really hard to do at that point in your career. So he was already a very good shooter. And then with the changes that he made, he became an elite shooter. And then he learned to post up a little bit, put the ball on the floor, um, and really became a leader by example. He wasn't the most vocal guy, but just with his work ethic and the amount of time that he put into it was really amazing. From this year's senior class, another friend of the show, Mike Pant. Yeah, Michael, um, you know, he's had a little bit of rough go with it, um, was iron deficient, anemic as a freshman. Again, was stuck behind some other pretty good players. Uh, his sophomore year was healthy, was our first guard off the bench. You could see the flashes. He had a dunk in the conference tournament against Rippon where he just went went up and got I it. Do you remember that? And yep. dunked it. Um, probably the highlight play of the year, really. Um, so you could see the potential just oozing out of him. And then I thought he was set to have a breakout year last year, which got shut down because of COVID. And I do think this being his senior year, he's going to have a very good, consistent senior year. Um, everything you want out of a leader leads by example, always very upbeat. Um, yeah, yep. you know, so very, very positive. Great to be around. Right next to him, you got Jacob Bulwark. Yeah, J-Bull. So he was our only returning scar- starter from that team that got canceled two years ago. 
And again, he had a little bit of an injury bug too. So he he started his entire um, sophomore year in the conference tournament against Cornell, went down, his knee was kind of feeling funny, finished the game, and then played a half against Rippon and actually guarded their player of the year, Trent Jones, for a half. And we were winning that game at half. And at halftime, his, his knee just gave out. He couldn't give any more. So he ended up, I think there was a tear in his um, cartilage, lateral or medial ligament. Um, and end up having surgery after the season, but actually played a half of a game in the conference tournament championship um, with, with that injury. So I think just like Michael, Jacob's going to have a very good senior year, and it's their time. They've been waiting for this opportunity for a couple of years. Turning to some of the young guns now, start with sophomore Nick Smolt. Nick's got a ton of, ton of ability. Um, I, I always kid, he's got the second best feet on the team be, behind Jack Pettit. Nick would say he's got the best feet on the team, but he, he's very complete. He can defend at a high level because he's so athletic. He's got long arms, really good hands. And then offensively, he can score on all three levels. He can shoot the three. He's got a good mid-range game, and he can finish at the basket. So, um, you know, not having that year of game experience last year hurt, hurt all our team, but especially Nick, because he would have probably been in the mix as one of our first guards off the bench, as he should be um, this year going forward. Another sophomore right next to him who had that freshman year snuffed away from him. Member of the broadcast team here at St. Norbert College, which is one of the reasons that really leads me to ask what you'll see from him on the court, Connor Volker. Yeah, Connor is uh, hes going to be a great leader. Uh, you can see he is so, so vocal on the floor, like he's talking on every possession. Now that's something that's usually learned over time by our players, but he's already got that and had it last year as a freshman, even though he had he had a hip injury as well with his labrum. Um, so super vocal, super outgoing, everything you want out of a point guard, um, good athlete, strong, and he's got good genes. His brother was the player of the year in the WEAC at Platteville. So he comes from an athletic family. He's seen it from his older brother. Um, so I'm excited to where Connor is going to go here the next this year as a sophomore and the next two years after. One last name, and I want you to give me your analysis of what the on-court play is like from your son Garrett Gresh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you had to ask that one. <laughs> I did have to. It, it's it's he he's got a unique skill set because he's about six five. He can go outside and shoot the ball. Uh, he's got good moves in the post. So he's got that inside-outside game where some of our posts are really good inside or they, they hang out on the perimeter, could really shoot the ball. He's got a little bit of a blend where he can do both. So um, he's got to learn, as most freshmen, to play hard all the time, just to get that motor revving, play hard all the time. Um, and that's something that takes a little bit of time. But he's got he's got the skill set. That was 60 Seconds with Coach Gary Gresh. And you're right, that size and ability does play uh, overall, that's a huge factor. We'll see if he can develop into something special under head coach, father, Gary Gresh. A couple more questions, just two more before we wrap up this interview. This next one has already got Will laughing. I want you to give your honest opinion. You, you know so, so much about how to analyze uh, athletes. How is the golf game of Will and I? Whoa. All right, next question. <laughs> so I wish I was a be- I wish I was a better coach because I could have really, really helped your golf games. Yeah, uh, well, they needed it. You know, I, I love teaching that class because it gets me off campus. It gets me around um, other students other than guys just on the team. I wish I was a little bit more of a swing coach where I could really break down your swing. But you guys have untapped potential. I think uh, <laughs> when you get a little more time and you're making that 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 money and you're full-time and you'll be on the golf course a little bit more, you can, you can see the potential. You guys are oozing with potential. Let's put it that way. 
I gotta say, I really did enjoy it. I thought I wasn't gonna like the class at first. I'm really bad at golf, <laughs> as you know. Yeah, and well, yeah. it was actually fun. Although was... my play did regress as time went on, as Tony probably could attest. Yeah, we all started out here, had some beginner's luck, and then just kind of went downhill. But you know what? That's all right. That's part of that's part of golf. Is you're gonna struggle just We're, like in basketball. You guys are thankful. It's a participation class. Like yes. if you participate, you're gonna end up passing the class. It's not based on your overall golf skill. Although you guys did improve. It wasn't always that way, though, right? I think. Uh, when I started 15 years ago, it was for grade. So they were oh. they were awarding grades in a in a two credit golf class and the activities classes, um, but that changed pretty quickly and is now pass fail as you guys know. Thank so fingers crossed goodness. for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> One last question, Coach Gresh. I have to ask you. Take some time. Answer it as genuinely as you can. What is it that motivates you? I think just the desire to be good each each and every year. I think every year starts new and you know, I want to prove myself each and every year. So I still have a strong desire to, to compete and win. I love being at practice when you can see the improvement in your team each and every day in practice. And I think this group has that ability. Um, that's really what I love. Uh, the game days are kind of kind of tough. Like we didn't play Notre Dame until 7 p.m. to sit around and wait for that game, and your guts are kind of wrenching. The, the game days are kind of tough, but I love being on the floor with our guys each and every day. And really, with the COVID year last year, just makes you appreciate it even more. So that that fire, I think, each and every year to kind of prove yourself, everything starts over. Despite having some success the last number of years, um, I, I still have that desire each and every year to prove myself. The exhibition season is over for St. Norbert College basketball. Game number one that'll count. Lawrence University at home Wednesday night, the 10th, the date of the release for this interview at 7 p.m. Coach Gresh, thank you for coming in. We wish you the best of luck this season in your 15th season. And I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait to watch some St. Norbert College men's basketball. It's fun. I'm excited to be at home with fans in the stands again. And I know our players are super excited to play too. That is Coach Gary Grash. This has been the Tony G Show interview. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Tony G Show interviews head coach Gary Grash. Our November series of interviews is just getting started with Gresh, and we'll continue under the basketball theme with St. Norbert College women's basketball player Olivia DeClean next week. Make sure to subscribe, comment, and follow the Tony G Show with all of our content as we are in the middle of our seventh season. Follow the show on Twitter at Tony G Nation or at Willis5312. Once again, thank you for listening to the Tony G Show interviews. Gary Grash, 